All right, are we ready, guys? All right, come on up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to learn something today. All right, you know the routine. Turn back to that same neighbor and tell them it's about darn time. Right? It's about darn time. Holly, you're, uh, yep, you're good. Mike, you're right here. Yep, all right. Grab a seat, guys. We'll do some introductions. You know, I get the opportunity to be a moderator for some really great, uh, really great panels, and uh, it's amazing to me. It, it, they just get better and better. So, thank you, guys. All right. So, uh, we're going to start out with some introductions, and I want them to just tell tell you a little bit about who they are, what they do, um, how long they've been in this industry. So, just to give you some perspective on their street credibility, if you will. And uh, so, we'll start with you, Mike. Tell them a little bit about you. You traveled into the history. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm from the East Coast of Virginia, where uh, we haven't seen snow yet. Uh, and that's unusual for our, our, this time of year. So uh, my name is Mike Brindley. I'm the Chief Sales Officer for a company called Solutions Advisors Group. We're a consulting firm that works only in the senior housing space all over the country. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Oakland City over the last five or six years. Uh, this is my 29th year uh, in senior housing. Um, I do like to tell people uh, that I actually started working in retirement communities when I was 14 years old. So um, don't do the math, though, because I'm much older than that, too. So, uh, well, guess what? Around here, we own our age. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. So, so I, this is all I, I, this is the, my comfort zone is being yeah. community. So it's great to be here today and see so many people here. And, and I, this is, I know this is your thing, but no one does it like Nikki Buckloo anywhere in the United States. Oh. Now, Mike said to me one day, he said, Nikki, if I could get every community around the country to put on an event like this, right? My job would be a lot Your job would be a lot easier, would it? Yeah. Polly, tell us a little bit about hey. you, where you came from. Uh, yep. My name is Polly Milligan. I've been in senior, I'll say senior care rather than senior living because I've done home health and home care and communities as well for 25 years. Hold that up a little closer. A little closer, okay. Um, and uh, I am currently finishing my doctorate's degree in um, organizational leadership and senior living has been all I've done for my entire career since I was 18 years old. This has been um, my passion. It's the only place I belong. So um, right now I'm in independent living, which was new for me last year. And I have to say it's super fun. Everyone gets to play a lot more than we used to. <laughs> so um, I enjoy it, but it's, uh, this is um, a great series. I do enjoy being part of this. So that, thank you for having me. During the pandemic, you told me how many days did you spend the night in the assisted living where you worked? I stayed there three months. Yeah. yeah so she literally lived in the assisted yeah. living she managed for three months. Three months. Um, uh, the, the lack of staff, of course. Right. And then um, since I'm certified to do everything in my communities, I got to be it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Chief cook and model washer. Yes. Yeah, Ask the meds, take care of everybody. Yeah. It was fun, though. It was fun. We had a lot of fun. So. Very good. Right. Glad you're here. Hang on to that mic. You two are going to share that one. And uh, Danny, you're up. Okay, thank you very much. My name is Danny Aishan. Uh, let's see, I started out in senior living back when I was in college. I went to Oklahoma State University and did some volunteer work at a senior living community there. Fell in love with it and decided that was going to be my career. Went to UCO and got a master's in gerontology. Spent 14 years working at the Fountains of Canterbury. 
Uh, started out there doing activities and worked my way up to the executive director. And then 14 years ago, was fortunate um, to get the position of CEO at Concordia Life Plan Community, which is where I am today. So it's been a challenging, fun, um, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So thank you very much. Yeah, Danny, you have to answer the question because you know it's going to get asked. Well, I was going to say, uh, for those of you who are wondering, <laughs> yes, my family does own Aishan's Bar. <laughs> No, I do not have any chicken with me here today, so I apologize for that uh, very much. Yeah, right. Maybe next time. Alright, very good. Don? Good morning, everybody. My name is Don Blos. I'm the CEO for Spanish Cove. Uh, I have been in senior living for the last 12 years, so 11 of which I've been uh, directing the organization out in Yukon. We're a not-for-profit community. Uh, before that, I worked at the State Health Department for 26 years, uh, about the first 14 as a statistical analyst. And I don't know how I got that job, but I got to be pretty good at statistics, um, and which led to um, me having a second career at the Health Department as a state's immunization director. And so. Uh, being a public health official, I've got public health in my blood, and I, I've loved that, and I've, I see a lot of overlap uh, between what I do now with Spanish Cove and, and what we did then. Uh, so, at any rate, I've really enjoyed being in senior living. Uh, it, it, it's just such an awesome time in our world history. Uh, we're, we're actually, our life expectancy keeps going up. So. We have, we're kind of new at aging, I think, uh, really, since 1965, or 19, people didn't really turn 65 until after World War II, so before that, life expectancy was much lower. But anyway, it's a challenge every day, and I love the residents out at our community. They challenge me, and I hope I challenge them back to me. Yeah, I'm told that you do challenge them a lot. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, good deal. So, I, like I said, I, I am honored to have this panel because, as you can tell, these guys are very well versed in what they do and not just knowledgeable about it, but passionate about it. Um, I have two questions for Mike um, from a, a national perspective, right? And the first one I, you, you're prepared for, but the second one I'm going to throw at you. Now, the first one is, how did the cost of senior living compare in Oklahoma to other parts of the country? But before you answer that, the second one is, have you ever had a group of leaders from three different communities on a panel willing to talk candidly about the costs involved in senior living? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I think what I've always enjoyed about this market is the connections, especially between the communities. Um, I think that's really important because at the end of the day, you all are on a journey to find out what your next chapter looks like. What you enjoy, what you like, is going to be a different fit in every community. So the, the ability for these groups to play nice in the sandbox is... It's different. It's very different. Yeah, it's yeah, not we, as competitive as... I, I don't see that in the Northeast very often, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, uh, we don't like each other here. Yeah, it's, for sure. It matters. For yeah. sure. Uh, to answer your first question, uh, you know, this is a, I think there's a value here. And I know, listen, I, at the end of the day, I understand it's always going to be considered expensive. Anytime you're paying for a livelihood and care, it's going to be considered a, a, a cost, a cost, right? Your market is definitely, I would call, a very well-valued price point. Um, you go in different parts of the country, the entrance fees, the rental fees, the monthly service fees are much, much higher. 
Um, it's the reason why people from the Northeast have been flocking down to the South where they can find a better value too as well. So, you know, the, the one difference that you all don't have that all other markets have is the housing market. The cost of houses here is, is, is a very conservative market versus what we see other places. So, which is good in a lot of ways, uh, this market hasn't seen some of the, the issues we've seen in other, other places in terms of the housing market going down again. You all seem to hold your value really well. So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's why I like coming here because it's it's a market where once you get it and understand it, it can be a very affordable option too. Yeah, so we see people moving from out of state to move here because the senior living options are more affordable in many cases. Yep. So, I'm having a little bit of a mic challenge and if that's me, let me know. Let me know what I need to do. Okay, so we know we're more affordable. Um, and so, what are the biggest even though we are more affordable, like you said, these folks are looking at the cost and going, holy moly, right? Sometimes it's really overwhelming if you've owned your house for a long time and now you're going to rent, right? So what I thought we'd do right off the bat is find out from these guys who operate these communities, uh, what are the top three contributors to operating costs that you guys see uh, in your communities? Um, and you can start, Don, you want to start on your end, and we'll work our way down. Yeah, so uh, just for operations, so it's not... It's not entrance or anything like that, but operations, our main costs are pretty much the wages that we pay. We have a lot of staff, um, and then our food costs are probably the second, and then um, after that, utilities. Those are really our Utilities? Okay, so staff is food and utilities. Danny, anything different that you would see, or? We're the same. same. Yes, we're the same, and, and wages especially um, has just been a huge challenge. Uh, since the pandemic began. I think for us, when I was looking at it recently, from 2019 to 2022, our wages just for our direct care staff went up by like 16%. So we're talking, we're paying people anywhere from seven to $14 more an hour than what we were paying before the pandemic. And staffing is still a challenge. It's much better than it was, but it's still a challenge. Sure. Holly, is there anything, Mike, you want to pass that is there anything you would add to that, or are those about the same for your community? I think it's about the same. Um, a, another cost that we've seen go up uh, dramatically is the cost of repairing, um, where we went from an average cost of turning a room to prepare it for someone being around $900, now we're at about $3,500 to prep a room, and that's the cost of carpet per square foot, so the paint um, went from about $100 for a five gallon bucket to almost $400. So yes, it's that cost as well has just really blown us out of the water. Yeah, and so for a building, how old is your uh, 23 years. Yeah, and so if somebody's lived there since it opened, which people do, yep. um, and then you've got to go in and totally remodel it, you're not just talking about paying carpet, now you've got cabinets and appliances and things like that, or do yeah. you do that along the way? Some of it we get to do along the way if, you know, if people are communicating with us the repairs that are needed. Outside of that, it's whenever someone moves out and we turn that room to get it updated. <laughs> Hold on, Polly. Do you, do you I, need a This is my, I, maybe, you, yeah. we need a moment. <laughs> there you go. Right? This is a friendly venue. Okay, so that's all right. It's okay, I'm not going to talk that much, so we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. So, Polly, back to you. Okay. So, um, if we get to fix things along the way, it does cut the cost a little bit. But for a room turn, you're looking at um, 
probably about $5,000 to really get a room to where it needs to be with, because um, codes change over those years, you know, upgrading electricity, upgrading flooring, things like that. So you know, that's also a big cost that we've seen to sure. change yeah. in the past couple of years. Yeah, and so uh, Don, your buildings, uh, how old are they? It just depends. <laughs> <laughs> how, so how old are the okay, oldest? So my campus is uh, gonna be 50 years old next year so um, so we have but you look at our apartment complex 50 years old but really it's been always in the process always, of being yeah. updated as we have residents move in so yeah. I don't know it's old and new at the same time yeah and the difference in uh, in the updates and things like that and a lot of times depend on the residents preferences right. too right yes. yeah so some of them have been yeah. decked out like crazy yeah we'll do some basic upgrades but we've got a lot of folks that really uh, like to dress things up quite a bit yeah. so and they can contribute to that as well so. yeah so that's a shared cost in most cases right yes. yeah okay all right so we know what the biggest expenses are so let's talk about kind of the past versus the present right what's been happening so the question I had posed to you all is that over the past couple of years, we've seen increases in the monthly service fees or rents, if you want to call them that, at many of the local communities. Can you give us some insight into why it went from a typical annual increase of say two to four uh, percent nationally on average to anywhere from ten to twenty percent increase on average? Um, so, uh, Mike, you want to start with that one? Yeah, <clears throat> it was pretty actually, it's been kind of amazing to watch around the country this happen because a couple things, most communities that we either work with or we have relationships with, during the pandemic, there, there weren't rate increases. Um, even though costs were skyrocketing inside the community from a PPE and gowns, masks, testing, the, the monthly services, a lot of communities weren't going back to the residents because everybody was just trying to get through it and it was hard on everybody. And, and so they absorbed that. They absorbed it. And these, these communities worked tirelessly to make sure their residents were taken care of. I mean, uh, you know, I look at revisionist history down the road. I hope we'll come back and say the communities did way above and beyond what other people thought they ever could do. I mean, they're shopping for people. Everything you think they could do, they were doing. They were living there. Living there, months. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so. So that was going on, and then you talk about what you know. All three of them just said this cost of doing business as a community has changed, and it wasn't like we, when when these people went through this, there was no budget for masks and gowns and testing. It was an absorption of cost. So around the country, most communities did not put a rate increase on the residents for about a year and a half. So now we're coming out of it. And the national average for assisted living across the country was about 8.5% uh, rate increase last year. Um, for independent living rentals, about 9.2% across the country. And then for life care communities, it was just under 6%, about 5.9%. And so it's a lot, but what we saw actually in most communities was not a lot of pushback. It was, we, we get it, like we understand. Like, they're seeing it, they're hearing from their kids. So it's not fun, it's it's ugly when this stuff happens, but these communities, the, the cost of doing business has changed. Right. Yeah, Polly, uh, how did your community handle that in terms of, uh, you also had an ownership change, so yes. does that have something to do with it too, and how does that play into the scenario? 
Um, I don't think that our ownership change or management company change really affected that so much. I just, um, I think with the new management company that came in on us, it was more what can we do to get you where you need to be after the pandemic time frame. Because we didn't raise rates there for a couple of years. And we have to make that up because pay rates have went up and cost of everything has went up. I I really didn't have a pushback on it either at all. You mean pushback from current residents? From current residents, okay. yeah. It's um, they understood, and um, we also educated our residents uh, at Lionwood. Whenever they uh, we sent out, this is going to happen. We sent with an education as to why, and really a breakdown of what the industry is and the cost of food. I mean, down to bread, milk, and cheese. Letting them know well, this is why, and I think because of the education. Yeah, alleviated that pushback. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Danny, how about you? I know you guys have, just for the audience's sake, you know, you have different levels, you and Don. So you all have independent living, you have uh, assisted living, memory care, and then of course long-term care and skill. So um, when you had to do your rate increases, if you will, how does one, even, I can't even imagine how your brain must have been like scrambled eggs trying to figure this out. Egg costs are really high. <laughs> well, like everything else um, that we've dealt with with the pandemic, I mean, getting into you know where we are with rate increases and and all of that, you know, was very challenging. And fortunately for for me, for Concordia, we have a board who are very invested in the success of the organization. Um, some of them have family members that live there. Some of our board members are residents at our community. So decisions that we were making certainly were not just, you know, willy-nilly, what are we going to do? Um, it was very strategic and very well thought out and planned out and just doing, you know, the best we could with the situation um, that we were facing. So we spent a lot of time having a lot of detailed discussions and, and before we, you know, came up with, okay, here's our rate increase amount, we looked at everything to say, okay, what can we do on the expense side to make sure that the rate increase that we need to have um, is as low as possible? Because at the end of the day, you know, our mission is so important to us and our residents, you know, they love li living in our community. It's their home. And so we take that very seriously when we make decisions. So we spent a lot of time on that front, but then knowing that at the end of that, you know, we, we also didn't want to strip down services so much that people aren't going to keep enjoying the reason why they moved to our community. Um, but we were very strategic about, you know, just different things that made sense to us um, that would not be seen by the residents as much and wouldn't impact services as much. But then when it came to getting to the rate increase, yes, we still had to, um, we still had to come up with an amount and a number that was higher than what they were used to. And like Mike said, and it was already discussed, a lot of the residents understood that already. They were prepared for that. They've seen you know, what was going on. They saw what we did during the pandemic, all the additional things that we added, the additional costs that we incurred. So we did our best to be very transparent about what's happening, why it's happening, what's coming, why it's coming. Um, because I feel like communication, especially in uncertain times, is one of the most important things that, that you can do. So it wasn't easy, but it was very well received, and we just keep plugging away. Um, Danny, what was the hardest decision you think you had to make about either adding uh, costs or taking uh, reducing costs? 
cost? What, what was the hardest? I would say the hardest was we did some reductions in staff. And that was definitely the hardest because, you know, the people that worked in our building during the pandemic, uh, you know, you hear this all the time and it, it doesn't seem to really um, live up to the word, but, you know, people call them heroes and man, I mean, that word probably doesn't even really describe what was done during this time. So there were people who, you know, spent a lot of time and hours helping us figure out how to get through this, um, that then we had to eliminate their positions. And they understood because they knew the financial position that we were in. But that was definitely the most grueling thing as I sat down with our board um, reviewing everything is, is having to do that. Because, you know, the community like Concordia, we're like family, our residents, our staff, we all know each other very well. Um, you're with each other, you know, for extended hours throughout the week. And so it's not only hard to make that decision for that person, but also hard on the residents because then that person is no longer there. That smiling face is not there. So that was really challenging. Sure. Yeah, I, I saw that. I felt that even as an outside person uh, as part of the community, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Don, what about you guys? Um, you know, how did you handle that? What were some of the most difficult decisions you guys had to make? So, um, yeah, we're just a lot like Danny. You know, it, it's a process that we go through and it involves our executive staff and our board together. Um, we actually take a look back six months to see what the running uh, estimates are going to be and in which we do our best guess right. what we think our census is going to look like. Uh, it was pretty rough on our residents. Uh, we did a higher rate increase this year than we have in the past, although it was only really like a couple of percentage, uh, two and a half percentage points higher. But uh, but we we tried to be as transparent. We realized that you know the people that live in our community they're wonderful folks, but a lot of them are on fixed incomes, and so that's I mean we're not trying to hit any big margin we're trying to just make sure we have generated enough surpluses because we have promised the people that are on a life plan in our community that we're going to take care of them for the rest of their life um, even if they did run out of money for some reason you know, which is naturally related and they didn't give it away that right. you know, or gave it away or whatever yeah. but so you know our operations cost we we tried to price that just so we're going to have a, a positive margin. We actually budgeted for just slightly a negative margin uh, this past year. But um, now how does that work? What do you mean you budgeted well, for a slightly negative? You know, margin? we see what's going on. You know, inflation rates at eight and a half percent. You think it's going to go down, and it has gone gone down. Uh, we took a look back even a hundred years ago to see what was going on. Really? Because. Um, well, not with senior living, but just... I was going to say, <laughs> There wouldn't be anybody that lived past 40, 100 years ago, hardly. Uh, but, yeah, you know, they had almost the same conditions going on as we do today. They had social disruption. Um, that was women's suffrage back then. Um, they Amen, had, brother. They had a world war going on, World War One. They had a pandemic, yeah. uh, Spanish flu, which killed 18 million people worldwide. But we looked to see what the trends were uh, back then. Inflation was double digit for a couple of years. But then, you know what? It dropped to, uh, I don't know what they call it, deflation when it goes negative. But but anyway, so, but we look at where we're at today. We think about, you know, we're looking for trends. We, we believe we're gonna come out of this pandemic, but, um, but our increases were real um, for this very reasons that we talked about. A lot of escalation in, in wages, uh, food costs were just astronomical. Insurance went through the roof. 
uh, lots of factors. I went out to the chicken house the other day, picked up four eggs. I dropped one and I thought, I just lost a dollar. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It, it is. I literally, I, I, the reason I'm laughing is because I opened up the fridge the other day, pulled my carton of eggs out, and there was one that was cracked, and I thought, <laughs> that's going to cost me money. One egg, right? Who thinks about that until now, right? We all try to be as efficient as we can right. uh, because it's not our money. It's, right. it's the residents' sure. money. Now, Mike, I'm going to come back to you because I, as, as I'm listening to these folks talk, what I heard was the common theme of communication with the residents that live there and with their staff and their executive teams um, across the board. Is that true of all communities? Um, are they all really good at communicating with their residents? And if not, um, how did that play out? I will, again, it was a nice surprise across the country to see residents get it and understand it. But I think because of the pandemic, leadership communities across the country probably finally learned a valuable lesson, and that's to over-communicate to the residents, keep them involved. So I think as an industry, we did a really good job. Did every community do, do, do it right now? Um, but as an industry, I, it's, I'm very proud to serve this industry because of the fact that leadership they rose up. They, they really did. They really did. Uh, you know, I will say I think it's interesting, and, I, and I'm not trying to take this off topic. One thing that kind of eroded a little bit during the pandemic was customer service. And I know that sounds ironic because they're working so hard, but like, you know, communities, like front desk areas became Amazon, like mailboxes, and um, dining rooms became storage areas. So the prettiness of these communities and how we did it. And, yeah. And staff wearing uniforms like that kind of eroded a little bit so that's coming back again now which is really nice to see too yeah it's a transition isn't it yeah i we had this conversation because i went to a community one day and the receptionist there was like you said it was more like she was a receiver of of, doc, of documents and boxes and stuff as opposed to hi how are you nikki it was like what do you have for me <laughs> and that is a shift so we're all kind of having to learn again how to actually communicate with people from the outside world, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about how we talked about how it affected people who live there uh, already and how they handled it. But what about new people? So the folks living uh, in their own homes who are thinking about moving to a community, they're seeing these articles and newspaper uh, clippings and and news stories on the unaffordability, if you will, of senior living. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how has it affected your marketing? How has it affected your sales? And what should people know about that as they're contemplating, do I stay at home or do I move to a community? Who wants to start with that one? Danny? Sure. Well, uh, certainly the first year of the pandemic was a huge struggle. And census drop occupancy um, was the lowest it's ever been for us since we opened. Um, fortunately, though, we had a lot of people who were working with us before the pandemic and just kind of waiting they felt like it was the right time and then 2021 2022 we had the highest number of move-ins uh, each year uh, than we've had uh, since we were in Philip stage so we were very fortunate and I think you know as we look back and discuss that I think part of that is a lot of the people that move into our community they know residents that already live there you know who can tell them firsthand here's the experience here's what's going on um, this is a safe place to live um, so you don't need to be worried about that. And so I think that was, that was a big part of it. 
And then, you know, the rest of the things that go into the decision making uh, to move to a life plan community, you know, all of that was still there as well. So we've, we've been very blessed and very fortunate uh, from that standpoint to see things ramp up the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you and I talked when we uh, were on the phone the other day about the, the not only did the communities not increase their rents, but the communities like uh, Spanish Cove and Concordia also didn't necessarily increase their entry fees in correlation with the housing market increase. What, where were you guys? Where, were you not paying attention? We were. I mean, uh, what happened? And so now what's happening now as a result of that? Yeah, I mean, um, I think to what Danny said, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, <clears throat> there was a lot of pent-up demand because, I mean, I would ask you, did you all enjoy living by yourself, being isolated during the pandemic? Yeah. Right? It was, it was hard for a lot of people. Couldn't see your family. So there's a lot of pent-up demand. And then the housing market added the wind to the sails uh, for communities because prospects could choose a community and sell their home in record time. Uh, obviously that slowed down starting towards the middle to late of 2022. Uh, you know, I think from a, a couple perspectives, one thing is, is people that weren't ready yet, they weren't looking. So only people that really came to the communities to look were people that are saying, I didn't like living at home, I've got to do something. So it made it a little bit easier to kind of weed out who was really serious and not. And then the one thing that really exploded is, from a strategy standpoint, in terms of what we do, you all flock to websites like it was nobody's business. <laughs> uh, you all learned to use Amazon, Instacart. Uh, I mean, the number one streaming show on the Hulu platform is Only Murders in the Building, and the stars of that show are 75 and 72, and Sherlyn Plain's 88. 25-year-olds aren't watching that show. You all learned and changed behaviors. And so that's what we need to do as an industry is to make sure our websites tell the story of the community. What's it about? Who are they? Why are they unique and different? Which we've been asking them to do for 100 years. Right. Well, not 100. Right. But 10, right, at least. Yeah. And so because of the fact that people couldn't get into the communities ahead of time, they went to the internet, they went to the websites to try to find information, and it wasn't very transparent. And so I know these guys have changed a lot of that, but the marketing... You couldn't market like you used to. No. You couldn't. No. Yeah. So you're, 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 the communities that actually did well the last couple of years, their digital imprint, their websites are what carried a lot of it. And obviously the people on site, the community, but to drive that lead into a community, you know, QR codes. We're doing, we're doing things that we never thought the industry, as an industry, we're pretty far behind the times typically. So we're playing catch They're up. They're way ahead of yeah, you guys. For sure. For sure. Um, Polly, what about you guys? I know that um, there was a period of time there where when I had a prospect, a potential person that wanted to move to your community, they wanted to see it. It was very difficult um, to see the community because we had these, um, the COVID ups and downs, right? Where red zones or whatever. Yeah. And so how did you guys, how did your marketing, how was your marketing affected? And the only reason I'm sharing that with this group is I want them to understand why we have so many vacancies right now. Right? Why so many communities have availability? And so let's talk about that and how that affects um, them in this room right now. 
Um, I think that marketing had to really, a lot of the marketers that are in the Oklahoma City industry here have been in marketing 25 years, right. 20, 25 years. So they've got about the same old habits as right. everybody else, you know, not really getting into the internet and FaceTime and uh, Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff as much. So I think it was a blast for the marketers to um, learn how to virtually be in touch with everyone, right. rather than um, just in just person. talking to them in person, which is where they shine, right. because they make that connection. Um, they had to learn how to make that connection over the phone. And it was a learning curve. For it them. was a huge learning sure. curve, huge learning curve. Um, I know for the buildings that I ran during, because I had two during the pandemic, um, we didn't stop people moving in. Okay. Um, I'm very tech savvy, so that I was the jump on making people, my, my marketers are teaching them how to make that work, and virtual tours, and because um, it's, it's normal to me. It wasn't to her, but it was for me. Um, I think that was the, uh, the change. There's a cost marketing. involved in that, isn't there? There is. There's a cost involved yeah. in going virtual. A lot of these folks had to spend a, a, a fair amount of money on technology yeah. and being able to communicate that way, too. It, yeah, it's a huge cost. I know um, for the buildings that I had, we, we did a, um, I guess, a, like a stand, like a robotic kind of stand that you can walk with and tour the building as though you're walking with someone um, that we put together. It was super handy, and uh, family members could talk to their loved ones in the community, and it was like they were life-size because it had a large screen. Um, but it was expensive. Yeah, it really was, especially during that time frame sure. when uh, you weren't really up to put out that cost. Yeah, right. You had to put out some costs that were important, but then it was probably hard. Yep. Yeah. So I think speaking to the now time, people have gotten more in that habit of expecting that virtual connection. Over the last couple of years, they've gotten used to it and kind of like it because you don't have to go anywhere to get anything done now. You can just do it from home. Um, but I still think it's a big learning curve for marketers that have been that face-to-face -face for their entire career. For people like me who would just as soon do it in person and not have to do it yes. online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift gears on you. I'm going to go to this last question, and I'm going to open it up to the audience because they're going to have the best questions for us. But So what can we expect, you guys? Um, well, no, I had one more question before that. So what if the, the people that lived in your building, you did say you had very little pushback, but what about the people who couldn't afford the increases? Um, how did that affect them, and how did you all handle that as a, uh, as a company or community? Um, Don, I'll go down to you first. I, I really don't know of anybody that couldn't afford our small increase. Okay. So. All right, good. And then even if they did, I mean, like you said, you have your right. we, benevolent. If they're on a life care plan, right. and, you know, there's a, Nobody there's, there's a discount, a friendship discount so that we look at if okay. they ran into financial trouble. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Danny? Well, I was going to mention one thing that our board offered to our residents was to allow them to spend down the amount of the increase from the refundable portion of their entrance fee. So that was a that was a nice thing that our board offered to allow to happen. So when they move into your community, they pay an entrance fee, which is a, a, a certain amount, and it's kind of sitting in a pool, if you will, or an escrow account of Correct. some sort. Yeah, and then depending on what you choose, it could be 50 or 90% refundable. Yeah. And so since that money is going to go back to them anyway, they decided, well, that amount, if people wanted to choose to draw that down now, each month and they could do that um, instead of that having to come out of their pocket. And we probably had 
15 to 20 residents that took advantage of that. Okay, so it's just a creative way of helping people that would prefer to not use that money in their current bank account. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Polly, how did you guys handle people that maybe it wasn't as affordable? Um, the way that we handled it was to, whenever we put in our increase, um, we put in a little bit above so that we could have a cushion for any individuals that came back to us with, because I don't want people to lose their home, especially when you're in that phase of independent living. Sure. Assisted living is going to just cost you more. Right. So if it was, you know, $100 or $200 that we could move one way or the other, um, then that little bit of extra that we added on to the increase gave us that little bit of cushion that we needed to still stay in the black for the negotiation. The yeah. yeah. You know, it was interesting, and Mike, I don't know if you saw this around the country, but I had a gentleman that moved to a community here locally, not one of you guys's, but, um, and when they did their increase, it was a significant increase. I mean, it was like, I want to say 19% or something like that. And uh, he, he basically went back to the management and he said, I'm not paying that. I'm not doing it. And he said, I'll pay 14% increase, but I'm not paying that. And they said, okay. <laughs> and so he told all his, you know, friends that live there. And I said, so did all of them negotiate? And he goes, no. He said, some of them just paid it. And I said, I don't understand. <laughs> but, so, but to the point is, if you had the money, and it wasn't a terrible hardship, then I think a lot of the residents go, you know what, I did, they did see how hard these guys work, and they thought, you know what, I can afford it, I can pay this, I'm gonna do it, because I love where I live, and I wanna make sure that they stay solid, um, right? And so I think people were willing to pay that increase. If you couldn't do it, or it was a hardship, then I think the new negotiation was there. Now, I just basically gave you guys all a big tip, and these guys are going, Nikki! <laughs> Right? But at the end of the day, Polly said it. Like, they're, they're, they're banking on, they're, they're trying to do what's right for the community. And if it's not right for an individual, I, that's what I love about all these communities here that are represented, is that this is about loving on the resident. This is not just about the bottom line at the end of the day. It's making sure that the residents have a home. Right? Okay, so last question. What can we expect in the coming years? Uh, if you could just forecast maybe what it's gonna what's gonna happen uh, locally and might maybe nationally in terms of pricing is it gonna settle out is it going to continue to go up um, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah so this is being recorded and uh, so we know we don't have we don't have a I love how Polly handed the microphone right away. <laughs> I'll tell you this, I was in a community in Seattle, Washington two weeks ago and I was having lunch there and the robot waiter oh. delivered my food. Um, that was, I didn't see it coming either. A human being took my order. Next thing I know, this robot was bringing me the food. I was like, oh boy, um, that was different. And I, and, I hope, and I hope we don't go down that route completely for sure uh, because we need the human touch points of what these communities offer. This year is gonna be really hard, um, you know, if I'm looking from a occupancy, sales, you know, leadership and, and operations, it's gonna be really hard. The um, with the housing market changing and inflation where it's at, we like we were told back in 08 and 09 that we were a recession-proof industry. <laughs> then 08 09 happened, and we found out we were wrong. So I think we're better prepared for it as an industry than we were before. I think we're being more strategic in terms of. You know, how do we price these communities that make sense for these prospects? 
I told Nikki the other day, you know, there won't be enough retirement communities until the year 2038 to handle this baby boomer generation. But there's also got to be a willingness to pay it. Right. And so that's why there's a lot of vacancies in these communities. It's a willingness to pay. So you've got to price yourself effectively. Um, Are we going to see some people playing with their pricing in order for to sure. figure that out? For sure. You know, we've, I've talked to at least five communities in the last month where we've actually priced apartments differently just for, for people that may be borderline qualifying. These are life, life care type communities. So this is maybe, maybe not the most ideal apartment. It's farthest away from a dining room or it's overlooking an air conditioning unit, but we're trying to value pricing so we, we don't lose out on prospects that financially have some hardship. So we're doing that as an industry for sure. Uh, you know, I think again, as long as we continue to play nice in the sandbox, we don't see, again, in 08, 09, we saw a lot of communities, and especially in Polly's world, where they started pricing things significantly lower just to get volume back, get occupancy back. That's never a good long-term play either. Why? Because eventually you'll find it's the cost of doing business is, is really hard. Yeah. That's and so, you can't afford it anymore. So, we, yeah, we, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, for example, back in early 2000s, 48 assisted living communities opened within two years of each other, just in that market. And then the pricing in that market just got out of whack because people weren't playing nice with each other. And so people were giving away assisted living and, and rental communities. And guess what? Those people got huge rate increases when they found out the businesses weren't going to make it. So it's going to be squirrely the next year, unfortunately. Um, I think we'll get through it, though, because the industry seems very committed to this. Uh, I, I have so much respect for these operators because they're trying to juggle a lot of real life things in terms of not just take care of the residents, but cost of doing business. So, you know, I mean, you all have to understand, like if a Danny or Don or Polly orders a refrigerator, a brand new refrigerator for their apartment that's being, you know, moved back into, there's no guarantee that they get that refrigerator like right away. Like this is, these are happening all over the place. Trying to find people to do the work is hard enough. So. This year's gonna be hard, and I keep telling my clients that we're gonna work really hard together because it's gonna be hard. And um, it's been hard for three years, and we're on the third anniversary of this, but this year's gonna be tough for sure. But I think there's some, some, some great days coming ahead, too. You know, I'm just gonna make an editorial comment because I know that Mike and his company only take on clients that are um, heart centered clients. I, that's one of their company's things. Like, they only consult with people who have a values alignment with them. So not all operators are doing it right, right? There are some that are not doing it well. And you have to tour these communities and meet leadership and learn about their buildings before you make those decisions because not all communities are like these communities, for, for sure, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so Polly, um, what do you expect in the coming year or so? Okay, um, I think I'll play a little bit over the state of the whole state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma is 47th in the nation for um, income and senior services. So it kind of puts us at the bottom of the list as it is. So I think for census moving into communities and filling those spots, there's not as many people in the state of Oklahoma that can afford it as there would be in say Florida or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that is where Oklahoma sees their biggest pushback. It's not as much that people are against living in senior living because Oklahoma people love to be comfortable and if you don't have to take care of things, that's our comfort. It's all done for you. 
the problem is, as these prices raise, the amount of people that are available to move into the communities is going to lessen. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have to have more communities that offer a some sort of a sliding scale or something. Yes, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. going to have to be somewhere in there, um, and then you know, too, there's a lot of individuals in the state of Oklahoma that have to fall towards the Medicaid or the Advantage program. Um, there's currently less than 20 communities in the state of Oklahoma that are available for people that need state assistance services. Yeah. So that, you know, it's, there's just not that much available in Oklahoma like there would be somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Danny, how about you? Uh, what do you project? Well, happen? I thought everything was going to be fine and rosy until I heard Mike talk. So. <laughs> Man, I'm, now I'm kind of regretting coming here today. So it's all right. It's rainy out, it's gloomy, and then I got more gloom. Danny, uh, when you showed you. up this morning, you saw the sign that said the truth series, yeah. right? Well, sometimes I don't want to hear the truth. Right. Agreed. Well, I mean, just, just from how things are going right now, I mean, as Mike said, this definitely will be a tough year. Um, the things I feel like are in our favor from a wage perspective, it feels like that the wage war that was raging last year, um, especially, has, has slowed down a little bit, and hopefully that will continue. So that will help us out tremendously. So, I mean, we know that this year is going to be challenging, but we're certainly hopeful and looking forward to next year um, being better and then getting better from there. But I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I knew. Or maybe it's good that I don't know. Yeah. Um, that might be better. but. We just know that each and every day, we take it one day at a time, we plan ahead, but we also know that, you know, we have to just um, roll with what's happening and be smart about it. Hey, Danny, before you pass your mic off, just out of curiosity, how often did you meet personally as the CEO of the, of the community with residents during the pandemic, either in person or via Zoom or whatever? Oh, goodness. Um, we did, a, in the beginning, we did a lot of Zoom. It was weekly. Um, at least weekly, it may have been twice a week that we were doing, yeah. that we were Zooming or, well, I wouldn't call it actual Zoom, we had to remote resort to the phone. We tried Zoom, but that was a bit challenging in the beginning. We, we got that down later, but, uh, but at least weekly and then, you know, as things leveled out, went back to the normal, you know, town halls or I'm there in person and in front of them in that capacity. And, President Council and other committees. And so you weren't hiding things. somewhere in your office or your house? And well, in the beginning, we were all hiding. Well, yeah. <laughs> But then that leveled off as quickly as, as it could. Okay. Yeah, Don? <laughs> I was at work almost every day. Uh, we were we had our management group huddled in the basement, so we, we called that our incident <laughs> right. command team. Right, I know. I remember so, Jill saying yeah, that. But it was a lot of fun, and we took yeah. care of everybody. Yeah. But, you know, looking down the road, you know, it's really hard to, to see, but what I see is maybe there, you know, there's probably going to be some escalation in entrance fees, um, just because, you know, the whole world, everything's gone sky high to the whole world. But, you know, communities like ours will, will do an actuarial uh, study, and we want to get the pricing right. We don't want to overcharge somebody, we just want to get it right so that it generates enough surplus That'll take you, that'll take care of you through assisted living, memory care, or nursing care. But I, you know, I think one of some of our greatest challenges are real obvious. Number one um, is workforce. So th there's not enough people right now in the healthcare field right. to take care. I mean, there's barely enough to take care of what we have, but for what's coming, so that's going to be a real challenge there. 
Uh, there's going to be some escalation in, in wages that are going to be necessary for that component. But there's just a, a lot of things that are spinning right now. But you know what we're going to do at Spanish Cove is make sure that our entrance pricing is right. We're not going to offer a lot of huge discounts or anything like that because we want to make sure we're right. Uh, and we want to make sure our operations costs are, are gen generating just enough surplus as a not-for-profit that will carry us through. So if we get those two things right, you know, we're going to be good. But we do see this boom of people coming, population, right. as I've heard you say, is going to double probably by 2060 or yeah. somewhere close. Uh, so that's when one in four of us will be 65 years and older. So it's unprecedented time. Uh, there's not enough infrastructure, as Mike was saying, uh, to take care of everybody. A lot of people are going to be uh, wanting to age in place. Communities like ours are going to try to do what we can to help support uh, support that concept. So you know, our mission is to help people age successfully wherever they're at. So we take care of the people at Spanish Cove, but we also look outside of our community, and we want to help, and we want to just elevate. Uh, the standards and you guys are really the new uh, we're all new at being old so you guys are new at being old I'm new at being old but we're all trying to find you don't way get through do overs on that uh, I heard you no. don't get do overs on that it's you either do it well or you don't and yeah. then you're done it's just what it is right? but amazingly Nikki at you know some point you know I don't know when it's going to be but you know 60 and 70 are going to be considered middle age I know right I know um, okay, I'm going to open it up. I'll let you guys know anything you want to add that I haven't asked before I open it up for questions from the audience. Well, I kind of smell chicken sitting next to me. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's only a 30-minute drive to Iceland, you guys. Um, you know, I feel like we should get, they sh we should have had them here today, and they could have been, you know, sponsors today. Next time, right? Next time. So uh, I'm going to open it up to questions um, just by show of hands when you have a question, and then I'll repeat the question and pass it off to the panel. I'm going to need you to yell it out loud enough I can hear it. There really are no questions off limits. These guys are very transparent. Um, the only thing I would say is if you're asking a question about a community that's not represented here, uh, we'll do our best to answer what we know, but we don't know uh, everything about other communities, if that makes sense. So, um, all right, I saw a hand back here. If you would just uh, shout it out. Yes, uh, I understand we're all just getting hammered with living expenses and how much of that gone up in the last few years. But one of my biggest expenses is uh, long-term care insurance has gone up 64 percent in the last three years. I mean, it's like they're trying to drive us out of our long-term care Was there a question there, or just was that just a comment? Uh, just a comment about, you know, like, Yeah. Yeah, so, so to your point, he said, you know, with all the expenses that are going up out there, uh, long-term care insurance, the cost of premiums have gone up 64 percent, he said? Yeah, and so it's almost as if they're trying to get you to not pay it anymore, right? Well, right, just try to get you out of that. Yeah, so I, I think that one of the things that I had, and I didn't go over them yet, the truths that we have, one of them is that, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, whether you're staying in, whether you're aging in place or not, or whether you're, whether you're moving to a senior community, you have to plan for your costs to go up. Right, y'all's costs are going up, but so is everybody's cost, right? So your house is going up, your homeowners is going up, your car insurance is going up, all of it's going up. So we have to budget for that. 
Yes, any other questions? Yes, Leonard. Uh, you may not want to answer this, but uh, Polly's had a change in management, and Danny, you said you used to work at the fountains. I can't believe that the fountains of Canterbury's facility is sitting there unused. Yeah. Is there any rumors about that thing? So, in regard to the fountains at Canterbury, uh, Danny, you worked there for 14 years. Um, you know, is there, do you guys know anything in regard to what that's going to happen with that property uh, that's sitting there? Well, I've been gone there for 14 years. However, so, uh, no, I have not heard what they're going to do with it. I heard somebody say Heritage Hall was going to buy some of that land, and I heard somebody else say they're going to turn it into housing. So, you know, those are just the things I've heard. So I don't, I don't know for sure where it's going to go. I was sad to see that that happened uh, to the people that live there uh, and just for our industry as a whole, because I'm sure that raised a lot of questions in your minds about communities like the Fountains. It sure raised a lot of questions in the minds of our residents as well. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about that in Concordia when that occurred. Uh, and just, you know, really pointing out to our residents the difference between the model that was at Fountains and the model that we have at Concordia and other communities like Spanish Cove. Because the model over there was, was different. They had small independent living, large health services area. It's hard to keep your health services area full when you have a small uh, independent living. And that was a problem with that property from day one. So they had some financial issues even before the pandemic. The pandemic was really just the straw that broke the camel's back for that organization, unfortunately. Which is why when we, you know, we do the classes, the panels and the classes that we do on touring senior living communities, we give you all these very specific questions to ask. Because I can tell you right now, there were people that moved into the fountains on the Monday before the Thursday when they closed the building. And had they asked the questions that we recommend people ask, they would have had a better idea as to what the circumstances were in that community. So you cannot assume that because a community uh, looks beautiful or has just been renovated or whatever the case may be, that it is viable. I, you have to ask those questions and you have every right to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, good. What else? Uh, I'll get uh, Dick first and then I'll get right there to you, ma'am. Yes. Uh, do you mean in their specific communities or nationally? Or? In their specific facilities. Okay, so he's asking what are the, uh, the occupancy rates right now in terms of how many apartments there are versus availability, that kind of thing. Polly? Okay, currently uh, my community, I believe, is at 84% occupied. Um, so we have approximately 10-12% um, that we can move up and get uh, better occupied. So Polly, uh, what is a good number, and Mike, maybe this is a better question for you, either one of you. What, where do you need to be as a community to feel solid? Uh, from what I've seen in most communities in the state of Oklahoma right now, a lot of them are running around the 75 to 78 percent, um, which seems to be the norm post-pandemic. Um, for me as a director, our goal is to keep it at about 90% or higher because that's when you actually hit a profit line. Whenever you're in the 80s, you don't tend to hit a profit line to have that surplus. Um, it's not until you get to about 90% that you actually have something to put back towards your capital needs. Okay, good question, Dick. Um, do you guys want to answer that as well? Oh, sure. So at Concordia, we have 179 total units throughout independent living, assisted memory care, and skilled nursing. And so 
Today, we're at around 92% occupied. Um, and for us, our goal is, is to achieve and stay at 94%. Okay, Don. So we, we have occupancy right now for independent living. So we're up in the upper 70% uh, for our census. Um, interestingly enough, we, uh, we are pretty much at capacity in our nursing care area, as well as memory care. We opened up a new memory care and assisted living. So, you know, one of the impacts of the pandemic for most communities like ours, we're an active community when our folks aren't out being active and participating in the wellness uh, exercises and that has, and there's some attrition that happens there and they graduate to assisted living or, or nursing care eventually. But we have some space right now available, which is a, which is a really Which is a rarity idea. actually. Yeah, and yeah. we don't expect it to be available yeah. for much longer, so. Well, I know time to buy. our team at OPC Mature Moves has helped a lot of people move from independent living to assisted at Spanish Cove. And a lot of the people that we've moved have been living in their independent living apartment or cottage for anywhere from 15 to 20 years. So, you know, they, they've been living there a long time, and health-wise, there's just a, there's a, it's a natural progression. We've, we have somebody that's lived out there for 30 years, and they're actually younger now than when they moved in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, do you want to speak to what what is that number nationally that people need to be at? Where do you, like if someone walked in today and toured, say an independent living or a CCRC, and said, "What is your occupancy rate?" Where should they be concerned if they tell them what number or lower? Where should they go? Oh, this is maybe in trouble. There's there's communities out there that are fantastic communities that aren't occupied very well right now. I mean, because so, of the pandemic, right? Because of the pandemic, and because of the market they're in, or where their community's right. located. So I don't want, I don't want to. What I what I want to caution is, just because they're not occupied as well as they'd like to be, doesn't mean they're not a good community. Doesn't mean they're in trouble. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, right. um, it just depends how they're back. Now, I can tell you, back in the old days, um, when we budget communities, stabilize occupancy to make a profit was typically 78 to 82%. Because of everything that's happened the last, even before the pandemic, we've seen that number rise. But to what you know, Paul is saying now too, like most communities now, they don't break even till over 90%. And that's, again, this cost of living and doing business right now is really hard. So that's changed a lot yeah. in the last few years. Is that why we're seeing communities being bought and sold, uh, the for-profit communities? Well, that's the wild, wild west. Um, I was talking to Danny earlier. You know, a lot of these communities that are for-profit assisted livings or, you know, member care communities, they have ownership groups and they have management companies. The management companies do the day-to-day -day operations of the community. If those communities don't hit their numbers from an occupancy percentage, even though they may be really good operators, ownership groups are changing those management teams out a so, lot. So the ownership may not change with the management company. Right, we're seeing that a lot right now, and that's that's a that's not very stable. And and again, so that means new management companies kind of come in and do their policies, and, and it's it changes. and changes for older adults is hard. Yeah, changes for everybody yeah. is hard. Are you yeah. kidding me? I don't want a new car. I like my old car. I hope it lasts forever. They're really Ever. expensive now too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, ma'am. Back here. Yes, in the black shirt. 
Um, yeah, so Danny, um, you or Dawn, do you want to just explain how that works? Um, that, and, and you can give the paraphrased version. Let me tell you why. We're doing our next seminar at the library uh, on the 14th is on this topic, and they're going to get extensively into detail on that question. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So uh, pretty much the entrance fee, oh, there you are, uh, is, uh, is a portion that is set back for your care later if should you need you know, higher level of care. So it's just to guarantee that we're, you know, you're going to have care. There's, and then there's a monthly um, portion, uh, which is just the operating fee for us. And a portion of that is also for your life care. So if you're on a life care plan, uh, the entrance fee and the monthly service fee model are priced. So to, to ensure that you know, we're going to have enough to take care of you for the rest of your life. Uh, from the day when you move in. So should we never have another person move in, it's, it's priced so that uh, it's guaranteed care. For yeah, so it's a guarantee. All right. and, yeah. and what I've always told, so tell me if I'm wrong, there's two guarantees. One, that you'll have a place there for life. And number two, you're, contract, you're contracting for a certain amount to, on today's prices. Um, and that it's based, the base is based on that, not right. tomorrow's retail right. price. Yeah. So, um, um, it's yeah. a very complicated answer, and, and I know he's not trying to skirt it, but I will tell you, it would take us an hour to explain the whole concept. So come to the seminar at the library, and uh, Jill and uh, we have Spanish Co. will be there, Concordia will be there, and we're going to flush that out, and they're going to answer every question you have about that. Right, Kelly? Yes. Okay, perfect. So, I will say, though, that a good chunk of the entrance fee and the monthly service fee that you uh, are charged is medically deductible on your taxes, so a lot of that money you get back. It's kind of similar to a long-term care insurance plan. Uh, even if you have a long-term care insurance plan, it, it works very similarly. It kind of hedges your expenses in the future. Okay, good. Um, I have one more over here, and then I'll get yours. Uh, yes, sir. Are there any plans for expansion? In Oklahoma City, as say your facilities or our new facility fees built. Good question. Yeah, so do you guys know uh, what's coming? Are there any communities being built? And are you all planning to expand? I don't know about new communities, but um, we were in expansion mode prior to the pandemic. We did our fa first phase, which was add more nursing rooms, more memory care, add memory care to Spanish Cove, uh, more assisted living space. Uh, but we also have plans for a new independent living unit. Um, we're just not going to start that until we make sure every the ship is all righted. Everything is looking good. Uh, we're, we, so we're thinking it may be, we're still a couple years out uh, before we build. But the need is definitely going to be there. I'm so glad we added. I think we're maybe one of the few groups in the nation that added more nursing care. Right. And Timing has, was impeccable. Yeah, and it has filled up. And it actually makes up a tremendous difference for us. Uh, we get a lot of private pay. Uh, residents come in for nursing care or for memory care, so yeah. it's, it's offset a smaller census in independent living, uh, more than made up for that. Yeah, if you haven't seen the architectural renderings of the building they're building there at Spanish Cove, they already own the land there on Vandermint, and it's going to be beautiful, uh, the new building, when they get it done. Danny, any expansion plans for you guys? So we're looking into expanding our nursing area right now, um, not you know, we don't have a timetable around it, but that's one area that we're looking at. The demand there just continues to increase, and we've got some opportunity there. So that's that's something we're looking at. Okay. Polly, what about you guys? 
Um, I know Lionwood itself is not looking to expand. Um, I know that the management company that we work with um, are gaining more buildings um, around us. So I yeah. think that that expansion would be the part of it. Yeah. They're looking into adding more. Your ownership group will have more properties. Yes. Yeah. Legends. Uh, yes. Legends Senior Living. Yeah. Uh, and, all, and you know there are several new properties out there. If you if you drive around, you'll notice that uh, the city of Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Housing Authority, has built some properties. Those are subsidized. Um, there have been several um, independent living communities built, kind of on the outskirts of town, Southwest, uh, Mustang, those areas, um, and they're designed for that uh, middle income person. Uh, some of them are sliding scale, some of them are based on uh, various different different qualifications, if you will. But I think there is an obvious need for senior living options for people who cannot afford um, a life care community or even a regular uh, rental community. And so they're working on it. We're going to see that happen, you guys. And um, it's just not going to happen nearly fast enough. That's the problem. Yeah, in 2018, um, we saw a lot of new developments start coming out and land being picked out, starting pre-development pre and marketing, and then the pandemic hit. So a lot of communities that were hoping to go into the ground had to back out. Yeah. Um, from a national perspective, just to give it some color, that most experts are predicting that new development's gonna really slow down over the next two or three years. The cost of building a community is really, so I, I'm working with a group right now, um, their initial cost of when, when they start this project two years ago to now physically going forward with it has changed $40 million in two years. It was a $400 million project, now it's a $440 million project. What, what the industry experts are saying is, to what you know, Don said too, is expansion on campuses will probably be the one thing we will see if there's land to be built on, but new development is going to slow down for the next couple of years. Sure, makes sense. Uh, okay, so I said I would come over here next. Yeah. You good? Okay, and then back here? The, the buy-in money goes, goes into a fund. How do we know that fund's going to be there when we need it? Good question. So the entry fee that you pay when you move to a life care community or life plan community, uh, it goes into a fund. And Don, man, you're mean. Yeah, it, it goes into a fund. You call them chicken. That's what happens. So they answer. The question is, what happened? How do they? How are they guaranteed that that money is going to be there when they need it? That's a good question. Uh, we we do get that question from time to time, and you know, I think what it comes down to is understanding the organization that you're looking to move into, and deciding whether that's an organization that you can trust. Uh, typically, when somebody asks that question of us. We have a board treasurer who's been on our board for 25 years, even though we're only 15 years old. Our organization has been around since 59. So he sits down with people who have that question, and he goes over our financials with them, um, our audits, and then just basically leaves it up to them to decide if they feel comfortable that what he shared and our track record is something that they feel like um, is a good investment for them. So. That's how we handle it, um, right, wrong, or indifferent, and it seemed to have worked for us. That was a really good answer, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not like we have a, a pot set aside, but the, but the funds do exist. And um, so, but we haven't had anybody, I mean, we've never had an issue with that. We're looking to make sure that our pricing is 
generating surpluses. We have an actuary uh, that, that, that looks at our books. And, you know, it's just, it is a trust issue. Yeah. But I uh, guarantee, you know, we're, and I'm sure Danny is too, we're fully funded. We have enough to take care of all the people that we have for the rest of their life if nobody ever moved in from this day forward. That's a pretty solid uh, position to be in, yeah. Uh, now, Mike, on your end, we talked a little bit of the difference between not-for-profit and for-profit communities, um, and you said that, you know, some for-profit communities do just as good a job as not-for-profits in that regard. Um, what, would be, what would be the one question somebody might ask a community operator if they were looking at an entry fee community? What do they need to know to feel like they can be assured that their money will be there? Well, I think what Danny said, and of course Don too, but Danny said something which is really important. You know, this is your choice. You are driving this process. You are in control. This should be your choice. Hopefully not your kid's choice. Your choice. It's not a crisis. Right. Group. It's a proactive. Right. Yeah. So when you visit these communities, asking the question about your their finances, I think is a really important question. Is there someone I can speak to, whether it's a board member or somebody in leadership, that can review those finances with me? And I think... Like, if you're transparent, if you find out that the community is very transparent about it and open, that should build some trust there. A lot of these not-for-profit communities, they're faith-based. So, you know, you're going into it, hopefully, from a faith perspective that I, I'm going to really build trust. So, listen, it's, it's not perfect. There's some communities really struggling out there, um, outside this market that I, that I work with. Um, I, a lot of times in my world, I get brought in way too late right. to fix things. Right. Um, so it's not perfect. Um, there's no science to this in terms of making sure it works out for everybody. Um, I think building that trust and rapport in these communities, asking the hard questions, how long has leadership been in place, all those things are really important questions. And you have every right to ask those questions too. Yeah. If they're hiding it and they're skirting the issue, just move on. I mean, if they're willing to have the conversation with you, um, then that says a whole lot about the leadership, especially if the leadership is, you know, every marketing director is going to tell you what they need to tell you to get you to want to move their community. That's their job. And it's not that they're being dishonest. They're not. Their job is to get you interested. And then your job is to do your due diligence just like you would on buying a house. If you buy a house, you should do an inspection. If you buy a house, they bring the abstract up to date. If you buy a house, you do all these things. It should be the same thing you do when you go to a senior community, is you do your due diligence. Yeah, good question. All right, I saw a couple of other hands. we got time for probably maybe one or two. Yes, sir. Back to the gentleman who spoke about long-term care insurance. Yes, long-term care insurance. I'm still here. Mass Mutual, plan out. The class is closed. Okay. I called the actual, I mean, called the, the Mass Mutual office, and I said, my premium keeps going up. And he said, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> I, I dealt with that words. The class is closed. We're dying. Why does it keep going up? Yeah. If you don't like it, don't understand it. Thank you very much. That was the end of that, huh? You know, what they know, they know we're at a point where we'd like to keep it. I've had 25 years. So. With Mass And I'm getting ready to turn them into the insurance. I asked for a copy of the actual report. No, you can't have it. So can I just kind of paraphrase what he said just for you guys? So so back on the, the I think everybody could probably that has long-term care insurance could share the same complaint, and it is a it's a valid complaint, and that is the prices keep going up, even if the class has closed, as you say, 
and people are now, uh, you know, the claims are being made on those. It, here's the thing they're telling people is, well, if you don't like it, quit paying for it. Well, that's what they want you to do because they don't want to have to pay out on it, right? And the problem is affordability. There may reach a point where you can't afford it or you don't want to pay that amount, um, and you have to make some hard decisions. Uh, I think, you know, to your point on turning them into, would you say, the actuarials or the insurance department, whatever it might be, we may see some class action lawsuits come down the pike on this because uh, I don't know if what they're doing is ethical, fair, legal, or any of that. But, again, do your due diligence. I'm sure there's some attorneys out there that if they think they could do it, they'd do it for you. Yeah. No. Right. It, it's awful what they're doing. Yeah. No, it's like Nobody it. likes insurance. Can we all agree that insurance? We don't like it, but we need it, right? It's it's one of those it's one of those necessary evils. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Any other questions? Yes, Jerry. What's the normal turnover rate of staff that you should expect? What is the normal turnover rate of staff you should expect? Any particular area you think of, like nursing, Jerry, or just generally? Just across the board. I wanted to ask the question, yeah. what's your normal turnover rate of staff, what would you expect to be a good answer? What would be a good answer if you asked that question? Maybe a good answer is depends on what staff we're talking about. So my managerial staff, I mean, there's less turnover in that area than there is on the, the lower kind of white staff entry level. So, but with our CNAs and our uh, Nursing staff, I think our turnover is about 60% or was somewhere in that neighborhood. But mostly it's just the same positions turning over and over and over. Uh, it's a CNA that comes to work for you for maybe two or three weeks if they show up for the first day. Uh, we get ghosted a lot too. But then that, you know, the, those positions just roll over almost continuously. So we actually, uh, some communities like ours have established their own training center. Uh, which is state certified, so we train the people we uh, to to take those jobs, and it's a continual effort. But uh, so, there, so there's really no specific yeah. answer, and so what I would suggest, Jerry, I, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I like to ask, how long has your director of nursing been there? If I'm looking at assisted living, how long has your um, manager, nurse manager, been there? If it's in one of those higher level areas, and especially the executive team, how long yeah. have they been there? So, uh, and I'll say for us, our executive team has been, I mean, we've got more than 100 years uh, cumulative experience. We have uh, a couple of people that have been there for 30 plus years. We've got some that have been there for 20 some years. I'm one of the newer ones, uh, actually, and I've been there for 11 years. So, um, but I think the newest among us is, is probably right at seven uh, years experience, so. Danny, what, when you look at the, let's say, like just nursing in, in the healthcare areas, uh, what kind of turnover is average or normal, and what would be odd? <laughs> well, right now, that's a really tough question to answer <laughs> because everything is odd. Yeah. Um, so a good number would be, you know, 20%. That would be fantastic. Um, but I can't imagine that somebody's doing that, and if they are, I'd like to meet them and understand what they're doing and steal their ideas. But, um, you know, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, there are places that are upwards of 100%, um, especially in the nursing area, because that whole model of, of getting a healthcare worker um, to stay at your community and retain them is so different than it used to be. And the options that the CNAs and the LPNs have for jobs is just insane how that works. 
I mean, if you're a CNA or an LPN, you can basically work like an Uber driver. You can get on an app, you can find a job, uh, a shift to work tomorrow, you don't have to work for a company, and you're paid a premium, and people like that. So it has just changed so much. So turnovers across the board in that area are so much higher than they used to be. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that, that place is a bad place. Because like Don said, like for us it's the same way. We have a great core staff, but then we have these other positions that the same position just keeps turning over. And so that, that drives your numbers up. But to the points that have already been made, I agree with, you know, talk about the leadership team um, and the longevity there, and talk about um, the key positions, administrator, director of nursing, and those sorts of things, because um, those are important also. And sometimes turnover is a good thing. I mean, in communities that are in trouble, uh, or communities that need new leadership, because the old leadership, maybe throughout the pandemic, how many of these people got burned out? I mean, they really got burned out, they're exhausted, they needed a break, and to bring somebody new and fresh in might have been a good thing. And that's a good question to ask the residents. When you're having lunch there, just say, hey, you had a leadership change, has it been good? And let them talk to you about that, because you'd be surprised sometimes at, uh, that that can be a positive as well. Yeah. yeah. I think what I would put on, the spin that I would put on that, is a lot of, um, in the turnover, what I've seen over the 25 years that I've um, been in the industry is nurse aides, CMAs, um, people that are on a uh, hourly lower, like a lower level position, they chase a dollar. Right. So if you know this place across the street's offering a dollar more, they're willing to give up their longevity in a position for that dollar. Whereas when you have your professional staff, they chase a mission to provide. Right. And um, that's where you see the greater longevity in your management team than you would in your your yeah. floor staff. And it's not that they're mistreated. It's not that they're um, underpaid. It's just that someone threw in an extra buck and they're willing to run for it. And right now with the shortages, people are paying bonuses for people to come over. So they'll take the $500 bonus, work there for long enough yeah. to go take another $500 yeah, bonus. Yeah, and a lot of companies throw those yeah. out and um, it's you're not budgeted for that sure. per se. So companies don't budget for those bonuses and they throw those dollars out there to try to get people. And like you said, they'll come and get it and then they go take it from someone else. So you really haven't put yourself forward anymore uh, by offering those, I don't, I don't tend to do those yeah. sort of things because I want to know that you're going to come there and stay there. And if you're not staying for the same mission that I have, I don't want you there anyway. Yeah, right. So. If you don't buy into what we're about, then it's probably not a good fit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. I think we've exhausted our time on questions. Can we give these guys a huge round of applause? that you guys are willing to sit up here. And I was worried, I was a little bit worried, that you guys were gonna pelt them with questions they couldn't answer, but you guys did an amazing job, right? Yeah, now these, they're gonna exit the, ta the, the stage and they're gonna be over at this table for a bit. And so if you have questions for them uh, offline and you wanna grab them, feel free to do that. But just remember, they also have jobs they have to get to, so they'll be heading out here pretty quick. Uh, one more round, please. at your table and we encourage you to fill that out and any questions that were not answered or that you kind of feel like gosh I don't want to ask that in front of the whole room of people feel free to write it on there 
And I had two more truths I want to share with you that, uh, that I thought were pertinent. This one, obviously, about the cost. I have people say, well, I'm not moving to a senior community because I'm just going to stay in my house. It doesn't cost me anything to live here. And I'll, I'll ask you if you've got your tax bill recently because I'm guessing that it is costing you to live there. Uh, your insurance has also gone up, I know. And then the second truth um, that I put up here is those moving to senior living community environments that are doing it proactively are often doing it in, they're paying for peace of mind most of the time. This is not about money for the people who have the funds to do it. It's often about peace of mind. You're not paying for a community. You're not paying for care. You're not paying for uh, all the meals that they provide. Most people are moving because it's a peace of mind that they have living in a community of people uh, around them. And then the third thing is that I uh, already discussed that Oklahoma City is one of the most affordable places when it comes to senior living. And I say that, I, I wanted to put that up there because I've had people tell me, Nikki, I'm thinking about moving closer to my son or daughter or family in another state or another city. And you cannot compare Oklahoma City prices with any other part of the country. If you're planning to move to Dallas, to Houston, to Austin, to Denver, to Florida, it does not matter what other city you're looking at unless it's Lawton or Tulsa or maybe Louisiana or Alabama. You're not going to find anywhere else that compares with our pricing. Um, even in Dallas, some of the lowest uh, entry fees for a continuing care comparable to Concordia or uh, Spanish Cove is going to be three times the cost of our communities here. And you're, it doesn't mean you're getting a better community or a better service or any of that. You're just paying more because it costs more to live there. So be sure to do your homework on those communities before you tell anybody, hey, that's what I'm going to do. I, you just have to compare the pricing before you do that. Um, did you learn something today? Yeah. So here's my goal for next month. Are you ready? My goal for next month is to have 25 new people in the room. And what that means is that you got to invite a friend. And the reason I want 25 more people in the room is because I cannot tell you, I, I can't even tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, Nikki, I wish everybody knew about this. And, and I love it. And some of you that brought yes today, right, you get it. We cannot do enough advertising to get the word out. And I say this to you because we've, we've looked at every avenue. The newspaper doesn't do as good a job as it used to. We've tried all kinds of things. And now we're basically paying you guys to help us. So you get a gift card when you bring somebody new. And that's our way of saying thank you. But if you could just spread the word, um, we want to make sure that we're reaching as many people who need, need a place to come where they're getting information and they're not being sold to. Okay? There's plenty of education out there, but sometimes it's about being sold to, and that bugs me a lot. Okay, two more upcoming events, and then I'll let you out of here. The one that we've got coming up at the library I mentioned on the 14th. At 10 o'clock, we're going to take a deep dive into the communities like Concordia and Spanish Cove. And we're talking about what the entry fee does, what the monthly fees do, what the options are, what the contracts are. It's a very complex topic. So bring your questions. Go ahead and just write them down. What are some things you want to know? And those folks are going to answer them for you. And then the next one here at the crossings is the truth about letting go of stuff, downsize, or declutter. I know none of you have too much stuff, so it'll be a small crowd. Um, but if you do think that you want to get rid of stuff now or later and you want to talk about
talk about how to do that. We're going to have that conversation next month on April 13th. I will see you guys at one of the upcoming events. Please call us if you have any questions. Until then, make it a great day. Thanks for being here.